seem to have some camera problems this morning. I don't know uh, whether maybe Alvin Bragg has control of the camera, but that's okay. We'll make it. We'll continue on and tarry on. Welcome to the Randy Tobler Show with Lee Almstead. We've got a ton of things to talk about this morning. Of course, big events, starting with the tragic events of three nine-year-olds being massacred by a transgender uh, individual on Monday. The media rushed to make it uh, the the, uh, conservatives' fault. Whether it's a MAGA or whether it's a transgender shooter, it's always, always the right's fault. You know how that goes. And then, of course, on to the uh, Trump indictment on on Thursday. Truly uh, the first and an unprecedented event uh, that we've had so uh, in this country. And it, uh, it's being reported that on Tuesday he will be arraigned in all the debate. Will he be handcuffed or not? I know that he wants to be handcuffed. No doubt about that. So we'll be uh, we'll be talking with that about that with um, <clears throat> several of our guests. We, you know, we have a big show. Ingrid joined us because I talked with her earlier in the week on uh, a story she wrote in the USA Today. Um, she's an opinion piece writer there on Biden and the Social Security and how uh, he just won't address it. We talked about a no- number of other cultural issues, and uh, so we'll talk with him about that. And, of course, Nashville was uh, on our minds then. We'll play that in the next segment. May Mailman uh, on the Trump indictment. We'll talk to her at the 7 o'clock hour. Virginia Cruda joins us at 745. And then at 806, uh, Greg Willard, who's a St. Louis U law professor on the Trump indictment. He, uh, he of course, is quite um, quite a scholar on these matters in terms of the constitutional uh, aspects of it. And, and of course, in this now uh, inflamed environment with uh, the presidential campaign going on, um, the merits of the case and what it means in the larger sphere for our jurisprudence system and will the left become weaponized will both sides become weaponized from local da's uh to uh to of course the national front larry clayman then joins us at eight twenty-five, and he will uh be talking with us <clears throat> also about that issue and you're welcome to call all morning we'd like to have you join in on the show because um i'm i'm curious what your thoughts are about the trump indictment what it means from a political perspective but also what it means um, from the perspective of this country and equal application of the law. I have some thoughts about it myself, but I want to hear what you have to say, too. 314-912-1019, the number, 314-912-1019. This uh, week after the GOP in the Missouri House had had passed really a a broad sweeping anti-DEI initiative, diversity, equity, inclusion, really, the Missouri House had passed through amendments on all the appropriate on the appropriations bills 
and really attacking to the entire budget requirements that state agencies, anything funded by the state from state colleges to state agencies um, to the vendors that deal with them that uh, aggressively implement DEI initiatives would not be funded. However, the Senate president, that is uh, Caleb Rowden from the Columbia area, says that that initiative will be dead on arrival and that it would result in millions and millions of dollars being um, being uh, taken away from our state agencies and that that uh, just is not going to work. So that's unfortunate to see. I was disappointed to hear uh, Caleb Rowden say that, um, where this uh, whole anti-DEI push will uh, will end up, I don't know. Um, but I sure hope that it will uh, it will uh, see the light of the day in some sense or another because we really need to really need to have that. Um, so um, wanted to uh, wanted to try to go through a story that I think was um, was really pivotal these uh, this last week, and I was truly truly uh, upset when I saw the poll that came out early Monday morning, uh, and it was a. Uh, it was a poll that said that um, the American values, traditional American values, have been just tanking uh, in in America. And what does that mean for uh, this culture, this American experiment that we know, this American experiment that has been so pivotal in changing not only the lives of the people in this country for two hundred and what thirty years, uh, uh, but but also bringing up folks across the world and the life uh, that they lead, the quality of life they lead, the lifestyle, and um, just really um, earth-shattering kind of um, kind of findings, finding that whether it was in the realm of uh, religion, whether it was in the realm of patriotism, um, the, the importance of having children, all of those plummeting in the last 25 years, comparing 1998 uh, polls to 2023 polls, uh, some have said that that is a result. I'm talking down into the from the 70s, 80s, 90s percent down to the 20 to 30 percent, depending on which domain you look at. Some have said, well, that's because uh, those uh, initial polls were taken with direct interviews and people won't want to tell an interviewer that oh, patriotism is not that important or having children or uh, the importance of faith in their life is not that important. Interestingly, money was not as important back in 98 to folks as it was in 2023. Uh, again, with that poll being done more digitally, I'm not sure that I buy that. I think that there's been a major cultural shift in this country. I think that there has been uh, truly a, a shift towards more, um, more me-ism, more uh, self-centeredness in this country. People don't seem to be really uh, as interested in uh, what they can do for their country, not what their country can do for them. Um, they don't appear to be, in my construct, always in a constant way, looking out how to love one's neighbor as oneself, rather loving oneself as more and more and more as well, as much as one can love oneself. <laughs> so is that what rolls into it? I don't know, but it's something that uh, we will talk with Ingrid Jackson uh, here in just a few minutes. Uh, Miss Leah, how was your week? Tell me how things went for you. Were you off this week? Was it spring break or are you back in school? Uh, spring break was like two or three weeks ago. So <laughs> no, I'm definitely back in school and it's moving very fast. We're already like... Ah three weeks in out of the last eight weeks so uh, uh -huh. may okay. 6th may 6th is graduation oh wow well that's so exciting that's really 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 neat i uh i think that it's um 
it's really a, a, a real testament to you and your hard work ethic. And I know that you are a person of faith that I think, um, you know, helps drive you to not only being a great weightlifter and competitive athlete. Uh, you know, you do the CrossFit, you and your dad do that. And then you do, I don't know, does he do the competitive weightlifting? I know you do that. Too. Um, he does not like I do, but he's kind of dabbled <laughs> in it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if you saw the story this week. I asked you about that because did you see the story this week um, where um, folks were, uh, there was a man who, a big, strong power lifter guy in Canada. Did you see that story? Um, um, I don't know. The power, po- a power lifter that entered a, a women's competition, but he identified as a, as a female and he was bearded and mm. then he identified as a woman and he shattered the bench press record uh, that was, by the way, set by a true transgender. Now, this guy was trying to make a point. Yes. <clears throat> we're going to ask we're going to ask Virginia Cruda about it. But I thought it was hilarious. I mean, this guy comes in and just shatters the record. And, he, you know, he's clearly he is as male looking as you could be. And he's got a beard and a big hefty guy, you know, and. And he identified as a woman for the competition to enter the women's competition. Mm-hmm. And it turns out he just shattered the record, which, by the way, had happened to be set by a transgender woman in the women's competition. And he was to make a point. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, whether they're going to strip him of that uh, of that record or not. But, um, you know, we've seen some uh, world. We talked about it last week. The World Athletics Organization has said that uh, that's not going to be kosher anymore. People cannot do that. And um, I, for one, am glad to see it because. Um, oh yeah, me too. We, we've got to, yeah, we've got to keep, we've got to keep the sanctity of the women's sports, you know, the way it is. So um, I, I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was good. It was good to see, and um, hopefully, other organizations, whether it's uh, you know your CrossFit or you know the uh, United States, uh, you know their competitive uh, ranks. Uh, certainly, I, in in Missouri, I know there are laws uh, that have uh, made their way through various um, levels of passage in the legislature to try to protect women's sports. For that matter, there was the Safe Act that was tried to, that uh, it passed in the Senate. Um, I think it was week before last that. Um, uh, is going to try to put a cap on, uh, put a uh, prevent all kinds of surgery and uh, cr- uh, hormone blockers, puberty blockers, and cross hormone, uh, cross sex hormone administration to uh, youngsters under eighteen. Uh, that is going to, of course, need to be matched with a bill in the House, and hopefully there won't be uh, too much conflict there. I know that. Uh, except for surgery, the provisions in that bill would expire in four years and sunset, and then it'd have to be repassed. I think that's a mistake. They should be permanent. They can always reinitiate them if they find that the science shows that uh, somehow there's some long-term benefit, but I think there really truly isn't. Um, Leah, what were your thoughts about the Nashville shooting? Um, well, the shooting itself obviously is horrendous, but I, I, I think... But about the the news coverage. Yeah, that's what I was getting at is I think I think it's awful the way the media covered it and just social media. I mean, you know, the first thing I saw in social media afterwards was, you know, like this is why we need to ban guns and this and that. And it's like, really, that like guns aren't the problem here. Yeah. You know, I 
I think what what was really stunning to me, I agree with you. I mean, it, it, instead of focusing this, I'm talking about the legacy media here. Well, first of all, there was the Joe Biden clip and we should we play that. That's probably our clip of the week once we get to it. But I mean, um, when Joe Biden came out and he was at some event, I guess he was meeting some people in the White House. And I guess he comes down ceremonially like all presidents and says a few words. And yeah, I would expect there to be some you know, spur of the moment humor and, you know, whatever. That's fine. But he start, He comes down, he starts talking about ice cream and his favorite ice cream. And here, this I, didn't, just, I mean, the bodies weren't even that. cold yet. Yeah, well, we'll play that clip later. It's really a, it's a humdinger. Um, and, and then the media, of course, a rush to make sure that they don't misgender the shooter. Uh, and then on the heels of it, I mean, the media, except on Fox News, Newsmax, and some of the conservative outlets, there was a transurrection that went on on Thursday in the state. How they, they stormed the Capitol, uh, transgender, LGBTQ activists, transgender and their supporters stormed the Capitol, disrupted the legislature there. It was as close to the insurrection, alleged insurrection on January 6th, as you could imagine. And yet, um, you know, that that really didn't get much play in the major in the news. Right. I'm, I'm wondering why those people weren't arrested. Why weren't they uh uh, you know, but put in handcuffs, maybe some solitary confinement for a couple of years before they have a trial. Uh, it's just it's just unbelievably stunning, the double standard. And then, of course, we move to what happened in Thursday with the indictment. I was really surprised. I think it caught a lot of people off guard. You know, it had been reported that the grand jury had gone home and after they had been off for several days uh, following a couple of weeks ago when Trump said, you know, he was going to be arrested uh, Tuesday before last. Well, that didn't happen. And um, I thought, man, I, I was on with Tim and Chris, actually, Thursday afternoon uh, before right before it broke. It broke while I was on the air on the Columbia show. <clears throat> but uh, we were on with Chris and, and Tim and, and Katie uh, at roughly 340, yeah, 345 on Thursday. And I said, look, they've gone home. I'm really glad that it uh, looks like maybe maybe they've gotten wise and they're not Alvin Bragg, you know, pinched himself and woke up and realized this isn't a good isn't a good strategy for him nor for the country. And in fact, it may backfire on on uh, the left if they think that this is going to somehow weaken Trump. Um, and of course, there's discussion about that. And I'll be darned if they didn't go ahead and uh, yeah, they did it. So um, I don't know. We'll have to see where it goes. I uh I'd be curious what uh, what various folks think of it, and we'll be talking about it uh, throughout the show uh, till nine o'clock this morning. So we uh, we hope that you'll stay with us. I'm going to try to get my camera fixed. We're going to see if we can um, if we can get this on the Rumble and the Facebook and everything else. There we go. Oh, I got. I see I started you. my camera. I see you. Look at that. Okay, I'm going to wave. I've got. Hey, look at my look at that. My shirt today says. Look at this. It's we the people. Not you, the government. Uh, how apropos is that? Look at that. There you go. How apropos is that today? I didn't wear my blouse this morning, <laughs> if you like to say. <laughs> All right. I, I'm Randy Tover. There's Leah. And finally, we've got our link going. So catch us on Rumble, on uh, Facebook, or uh, on Twitter, right? No, Twitter? No. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Not, not YouTube. You Correct. You won't me on YouTube because I'll be taken down. Okay. And when we come back. A new guest, and I hope a frequent flyer on the program, Ingrid Jacks. Ingrid Jacks joins us, a uh, opinion columnist for USA Today. Hope you enjoy that. It's great to make acquaintance uh, with a new friend, and uh, 
I hope she'll become a more frequent friend because I sure enjoyed reading her piece the other day in USA Today. She's an opinion columnist there. Her name's Ingrid. Is it Jaquist? Did I get that right, Ingrid? Jax. Jax. Ah, I tried. Mm-hmm. That's okay. No, it's, yeah. it's not had, easy. My wife and I had a teacher in high school named, uh, it was spelled your way, and they pronounced it Jacobs. Well, well, I tried. Good old college try. Hey, so you, hey, wrote, no, you wrote an interesting story. I think this whole, the whole, the, the rhetorical war uh, and the, the leverage using Social Security as a tool <laughs> for politicians, I think Americans have had enough of it because they look at it being exhausted. Young Americans are saying, I'm never going to, I won't see it anyway, whatever. They've become nihilistic about it. Um, and you wrote a great story, really sort of um, impugning both the Biden and Trump in terms of the way they've handled it. Um, why don't you explain? Well, thanks, Randy. I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, I just I thought it was important to point out how um, you know this very important program to Americans has become so political, and um, I also think that just ignoring the problems that uh, Social Security and Medicare, you know, two of our most important retirement programs in this country, you know, they're on a path to becoming insolvent and really hardly any of our political leaders are showing the leadership that's necessary to address the problem and and if they don't um, our our national debt is going to get to the point that we will reach a fiscal crisis and (laughs) there will be harsh consequences for that and and President Biden's not talking about that. Um, former President Trump's not when he's pointing fingers at Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis for things they've said about changes that need to be made. I mean, this is not helpful rhetoric. No. <laughs> and you know, it's just it's, it's frustrating to see that. So I just thought it was worth pointing out. Well, and, you know, yours is a I think a clarion cry that more and more Americans thoughtful Americans are, are are seeking in their politicians, which is an honest discussion, right? Some authenticity rather than, you know, in this case, just, just, you know, burying their heads under the sand for political gain, because that's that, you know, famous third rail, one of the third rails, you know, social security and Medicare, we don't <laughs> want to touch. But, but look, I mean, I think that I would ask you, what about Paul Ryan? He tried to climb that hill and he was shot down. What about George Bush? He tried to do that back in, what, 2006, I think? Just tried to do a little reform, you know? And uh, with a little privatization that would phase in for people that were, sure. what, 55 and younger? It, it's not a politically popular thing to do. So whose fault is it? Is it the leadership's <laughs> fault or is it the electorate's fault? Uh, well, I mean, that, that's a fair point. And, you know, it probably is a little of both, right? I mean, we've seen uh, in, in France where President Macron there is trying to make a very modest adjustment to um, the retirement age from uh, 62 to 64. France already has one of the lowest retirement ages. And, you know, there's people protesting in the streets. But he hasn't backed down. And he's really doing what he has to do. And I, I think uh, what we need here is just a really honest discussion whether it's I think it needs to come from both Democrats and Republicans I mean I think everyone knows this is a problem it's it's going to become much more of one in the next few years if nothing is done and um, I, I think if the American people understood more the consequences 
uh, it, that would go a long way. I, mean, I know I've heard a lot of feedback in the last couple of days after my column ran, just from people who just honestly think, you know, this they, they've contributed uh, you know, to, to Social Security and Medicare through their working years, and they feel like you know they should get what they're what they're owed you know no questions asked and it's like well okay but the government has not been a good steward of your money it's definitely not been one of mine and um you know this is this is our reality and we're going to have to face it and um so i I just think if we had a more open heard more openly and honestly from our politicians that would help having president biden out there saying that republicans are the biggest threat just because they're trying to some of some of them are trying to bring up the the realities and some of the, the adjustments that might be necessary so we don't face much you know, harsher harsher penalties down the road um, that kind of rhetoric is not helpful yeah no you're right and um, the rhetoric only gets sharper as the days goes on days go on um, the political divide in this country go, goes on and you you touched mm-hmm. another light tea Tea Party subject to get Tea Time subject, right? Boy, you tackle the tough ones, Ingrid Jacks. And uh, <laughs> folks, we're talking to Ingrid Jacks, uh, and uh, you can reach, well, you can read everything about her if you just look for her on usatoday.com and uh, writes a lot of great columns there. And I'm so glad that, that you're on with me. Uh, so you wrote an article talking about the political divide and in the wake of the, just an unbelievably mm-hmm. horrific shooting on, on Monday, how people are, instead yeah. of gathering together, which we did in 9 11, and I mean, there are times whenever things like this happen, people hugged one another. They went to church. They, you know, they they prayed together. Man, this is now we've got a day of vengeance coming up from the trans community on Friday, right? And we've got some yeah. hateful things going on at the time when polls in the Wall Street Journal, NORC poll, and you have written in the Wall Street Journal, are saying that our traditional traditional values in this country that used to be the glue are absolutely plummeting in priority for Americans. Can you put that together for us? Well, I mean, it's, it's just very troubling to see it all play out. And, uh, you know, we're seeing it time and again, whenever it seems like in, in recent years, especially when there is a, a national tragedy and drop in the case. Um, recently, it's been shootings. Um you know, rather than just coming together and mourning as a country, we're just so quick to divide into our camps and throw blame at each other. You know, even if even if our political beliefs have nothing to do with what one um, very disturbed individual does, and um, I, I definitely saw that playing out today. I mean, the, the rhetoric is is not good. You know, whether it's around you know, suddenly the talk goes to, you know, blaming Tennessee lawmakers for bills they've passed regarding LGBTQ rights, um, you know, about what lawmakers there have done as far as as guns. And it's just, it's, it's so divisive and so damaging. And I, I thought it was just really ironic that the same day that tragedy happened, that Wall Street Journal poll that you just mentioned came out and it just shows how you know the, the values that really once tied us together as a country are just they're really not there anymore in the way that they were you know whether that's patriotism or our, our faith or tolerance for other views and I mean I think we're seeing that playing out yeah and not to mention we're not 
we're not replacing ourselves anymore. And and the the uh, recognition that having children is you know sort of one of those American things that you did. You know, <laughs> you, you, mom and dad had a couple of kids, maybe a maybe even a shaggy dog in the back of a station wagon. Oh my gosh, what a horrid <laughs> thought. You know, I mean, it's like that's now anathema uh, in some in some camps to talk about the aspirational American dream anymore. It's like, oh no, no, then you're so you're either part of the patriarchy or the you know it's just gone crazy. I don't see it getting better. Do you? Well, unfortunately, I mean, at this moment, I don't. But that's why I feel like it's important to at least throw these things out there and, and hopefully have have more people think about it and you know where we are as a country because I think it's it's really sad what's happening and you know when when such a tragedy as a national shooting happens when little innocent children are getting killed it's just yeah. we you know I, I feel like the loss of their lives gets um, gets tainted by these other these other fights and, and that's really yeah. really sad you know I heard uh, I heard Jason Whitlock the other day say that we are in a spiritual crisis in this world in this country and um, yeah he's unabashedly Christian but I think no matter what Abrahamic faith that you're from and those are the faiths that really I think have dominated that are you know our faith culture in this country it mm-hmm. there is that there is that something higher than thyself <laughs> that 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 is common to to all religious faiths right i mean even buddhism it's like well no it's not about me i just be i want to become nothing right that's what the buddhists say uh, everyone else they answer to allah to god to who and we've lost that it's all about as the song goes it's all about me it's all about me <laughs> and i think does that sort of summarize maybe one of the root causes in your opinion i don't want to put words in your mouth but i'm just curious your thoughts on that I mean, these are very complicated issues, and you know, there's a lot of people trying to figure out what's going on. But yeah, I mean, when you when these community values um, start disappearing, and I think that's what the Wall Street Journal poll really highlighted. I think it does become much more about the individual and what separates us, and that that becomes the focus instead of what brings us together what you see unify us and there's always been political differences in this country heated ones and that's a good thing but i think we used to be able to come together as citizens as fellow countrymen and and it's just our initial reaction now when especially when tragedies happen is just to see each other as the enemy and um, i think that just furthers the problem but and and, but but all that said um in the constitution that i've read and usually carry in my portfolio. I don't have it in my briefcase today. But, um, <laughs> Good for you. But you you do have a right of first uh, first uh, amendment right of free speech. Us Americans do. Oh sure. And that can include things that offend others. But I can't find that uh, bill of rights. Maybe it's that extra amendment that only comes when you take the parchment, rub lemon, and put lemon oil and light it. You know that's that magic ink that comes out <laughs> that that says that you have the right not to be offended. You know, and I'm sorry, even mm. though it, it may be boorish and crude and mean to, to look at someone who's a transgender and say, I think you're off your rocker, you're crazy, what are you doing? That's, I mean, people on the right now who are concerned about children being experimented on with, with life-altering, you know, therapies, um, 
you know, are now being gaslighted by the trans community because somehow they are responsible because they criticize either transgenderism in general or the early transition of children. And somehow they're responsible if, in fact, this shooter was motivated by this for that for what happened. Are people who are pro-life, they're responsible for, what is it, Just Ruth or whatever that organization is that firebombs pro-life clinics? Mm-hmm. Since when did my criticism of, of your belief become your right to, to, to act out violently against me? I don't get that, Ingrid. Well, sure, violence should never be the answer, and you know, it's it's never a good excuse. But you know, I think there uh, both sides of the political spectrum can take the, take things too far. But um, you know, in this case, we I think there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered about who the shooter was and, and um, motivations. But I mean, that's part of the problem. We're just very quick to jump. To conclusions and to put our our existing prejudices um, yeah. into the into the debate, but um, yeah, I just I just wish you know even if we're hugely politically different, two things you know very and opposite spectrums. I just think there's times that we just need to be able to come together and yeah. and uh, you know over our, with those more unifying values. But if they're starting to disappear, then I don't know what replaces them. I don't I don't know if anything can. Well, I don't know if there's no if there's no normative <laughs> values. I mean, you know, if there's know, no normative values, then there are no. I mean, that, right. then then it's like uh, anarchy. You know, I I don't know. Sure. Anyway, I'm so glad that sure. you've written about this and you've uh, awareness is of the problem is of, of the serious problem is the first um, you know the first step to a prescription and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a solution for this so we thank you and I, boy I really enjoy everything you write I hope from time to time we can get together and talk about uh, one or three of your articles uh, too because they're all very meaty well done and well written so thanks a lot Ingrid really appreciate the time thank you so much and I would love that okay we'll do it again thanks a lot there she is Ingrid Jacks well, there's no doubt uh, that she is a talented writer. We hope that she'll join us more frequently and uh, look forward to more uh, interviews as uh, we stay in touch with what's going on with a, a rare find on USA Today, which is a conservative columnist. Ingrid uh, did some training. I think she got her undergrad degree at Hillsdale College. That speaks very, very well of hers. Uh, don't forget that uh, coming up uh, in the next hour, we have May Mailman at 7.06. She'll uh, be talking on the Trump indictment. I know that's on everyone's mind, and I, I, I am really having a hard time processing it myself because there is so so much uh, to think about, so many spokes from that hub. Uh, curious about what you have to think about it. We'll step aside and take a little break. And then when we uh, come back, yes, a transgender activist tells MSNBC that um well she uh, she was made in god's image yes that's true we'll be back and talk about that on the randy tobler show here on 1019 news talk stl and of course on the web and on the app and on your alexa skill and on rumble and on youtube no not youtube twitter and facebook anything i left out leah i don't think so no you're good be right back So guess who's with us now? One of our favorite people. And she is May Mailman. How you doing, May? Thanks for being with us. 
Well, thanks for having me. What a, you know, what an exciting time to be alive. It is a prestigious, a, a prodigious day. I don't know how prestigious, but it's a prodigious. And I think it's interesting. Uh, yesterday, uh, uh, Jonathan Turley called this a, a noble prosecution. I, and I thought that was an interesting word, but I guess he went on to say this is going to have, uh, well, this, this indictment uh, is going to have ramifications. Now, you're a former legal advisor to Donald Trump. Can you, can you just speculate as to what went on in the room when whoever, maybe his attorney and assistant, informed him that he'd been indicted? Can, can you give us a little glimpse into what that might have looked like? Well, I've never had to, to deliver that bad of news. Um, I guess, you know, I didn't deliver any you lost the election news, which I think is, is worse. But um, I can imagine a lot of yelling, a lot of cursing, um, because just before he was indicted, he had sent out a true social message saying that he thought that this was a great grand jury because it kind of seemed like they were not going to indict, which I have predicted from the beginning that they would indict because that's what grand juries do. So grand juries basically 99% of the time indict. You're only really presented with evidence showing guilt. There's no consequence to the defendant. They're not, you know, they still get to have a trial and defend themselves. So grand juries always indict. So it was... I think stupid of anyone to think that it was going to go the other way. Yeah, I, re- I remember um, you telling us that earlier. You you just thought that this was the momentum was such that they were going to get him one way or another. And, you know, there's still, what, three or four other things out there that they may try to indict him for. So yeah. Exactly. But I, I actually think that by this one going first... Uh, the other ones are going to have a little bit of more of a tougher time because this case is certainly the weakest and therefore the most political. It makes the whole charade look like a witch hunt, which, of course, it always was. But the other ones, I think, had more buy-in from the public, more buy-in from the legal community. And this one even doesn't. So it, it, it colors the other prosecutions oh, mm-hmm. as equally frivolous. Oh, so I see. It, it made it, just the fact that this was the first one and by all accounts the weakest one, um, you know, it's going to give other people pause that this doesn't tarnish whatever they might do. I, I get it. You know, thinking about the whole process, though, and I mean, there's discussion over whether he's going to be handcuffed or not. And being the showman he is, I'm sure he's going to try to make make a lot of hay on this. You know, I imagine the I imagine the uh, the contributions to the Trump packs and campaigns are just going crazy now. But um, is there an expectation or on put another way, does the judge have any obligation to uh, speed the process up and come to it, the trial and get it over with one way or another? Because he is, after all, a candidate for president. I mean, this is so uncharted. I don't even know how to make a prediction here. Um, Yeah, you've never had a past president indicted. You've never had a presidential candidate indicted. It's just, it's completely bizarre how this is going to work because Trump can't himself appear in court like it's a, a normal person. Secret Service is going to have to seal off the roads, the courtroom. I mean, if anything, I I feel like the logistics are going to be extra complicated here and slow things down. Not only that, you're going to want to give 
the former president a robust opportunity to defend himself in a lot of pre-trial motions, uh, requesting certain things, trying to block certain things, getting certain clarifications. Usually the clarifications of how things are going to go are pretty simple uh, in, in a courtroom, but this is not. So I don't have a good prediction about how this is going to happen because it has never happened yeah. before. Well, and, and that's, I think, what's the sad thing about this. If it was going to happen, I, for one, would have rather had it happen on a, for lack of a better word, a meteor uh, case, you know, against him. And, you know, because there are, you know, there are people that have said, well, there may be some credibility to the issue that, you know, the did he tamper with the election process in Georgia or whatever? I mean, or, you know, maybe he, maybe they lied and he knew they lied about any residual records at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, I think most reasonable people could say, Gosh, if you're gonna go for the guy, do something that at least has some teeth in it. But but doesn't that very fact that this is a case about a hush money to a porn store <laughs> and that the feds didn't want to deal with, are we now entering an era, May Mailman, former legal advisor to Donald Trump, senior fellow at Independent Women's Law Center, and earlier in your career a a uh, litigator? It, could this mean that every high-level public official from president on down now needs to just anticipate that some rogue DA or maybe some from the federal Department of Justice is going to is going to go after him for political means. Yes, I I do think that this is the world that they have ushered in now and it's not like that doesn't happen in other parts of the world. So, you know, in South Korea, they call it graduate school. As soon as uh, the party in power no longer has power, the president and all of his friends all get thrown into jail. And so they call it graduate school. So this is something that does happen in other societies. It's unhealthy in other societies because you can't have progress. You can't have growth when all of your leaders are being constantly thrown in jail. And I think the other really dangerous point is that if you think, if you are the president or if you're a senator, you're some sort of high leader, and you think that if you lose your election, that you're going to go to jail, you're going to do everything within your power to stay in power. And that type of incentive structure is very dangerous. We don't want our leaders to be taking any means necessary to stay in power, but if they think that they're going to go to jail, then they have to do it to protect themselves, to protect their families. Yeah. And looked at from another perspective, who in the devil would go into public service? I mean, how many in our complex system of laws and IRS regulations and uh, federal campaign finance? I mean, who isn't going to make and, and, uh, you know, an unforced error that they didn't mean to make? There was no intent. But, you know, why would you put yourself and your family under that kind of, uh, you know, of scrutiny and, and, and pressure and risk? So a lot of good people, I would think, just don't even want to run in the first place. We've already seen some of that as time's gone by. I think that's exactly right. So you're going to have mob members. You're going to have people who are already comfortable with high risk, breaking the law, uh, throw me in jail, I dare you. So this just gets closer and closer, I think, to mob rule, pure political power, nothing to do with meritocracy, nothing to do with the best person. So I think if even if I was a Democrat and I very much 
just every day dreamed of seeing Donald Trump in jail. I think there are a lot of Republicans that kind of dream that too because they want to have the best shot at beating uh, Joe Biden. And so, you know, that the polls don't seem to indicate that that's Donald Trump. So even if you're not a huge Trump fan, the precedent here is very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh- uh, what what do you suppose could amount to 30 counts? I mean, is this just stacking the same alleged um, crime over every little line item that really it's a distinction without a difference, but it allows the, the DA to look big and puff up his chest and say, look at what I did. You know, I mean, 30 some odd counts of reportedly are, or do you think there might be some interesting information, you know, new information there other than the Stormy Daniels thing? I know I'm asking you to speculate, but is that a common practice to just have that number of counts, 30 some odd? So I think that because this involves money, the various uh, like individual checks all stack up to be another count, even oh. though they're all in furtherance of the same act. Oh. So I have, uh, I am aware of that maybe being responsible for oh. eleven of the thirty counts. Uh-huh. I don't expect to be surprised, so I don't expect that some of those 30 are going to be theories that we haven't heard. So I would expect maybe it's that payment in furtherance of uh, violating federal law, that uh, payment in vi- violation of state law. So they're going to just pile on things, but this is actually what prosecutors do, and this is why so many defendants end up pleading guilty just in in routine matters. Like, if you get pulled over for drunk driving, they are going to put on drunk driving, buzzed driving, driving over the line, oh. driving, uh, <laughs> you know, you know they, they put ten things on there. That way you can plead guilty to one or two, oh. and it looks like you've been given a break. So this is just common prosecutorial practice. Okay, okay. You know, May, I was awakened uh, at about 3 a.m. this morning because I have a busy mind. And I was thinking about this and I thought, you know who the real the real second and third and how many hundreds and maybe thousands of victims of this indictment are the victims and families of the violent crime, the rapes, the murders the, you know, shot but not murdered but injured in New York City that Alvin Bragg has not bothered to prosecute or has downgraded from felony to misdemeanor. How must those people feel when they look at the aggressiveness that he's gone after this case and those people will never see justice, the victims of those criminals that he's let just go pretty much scot-free? It's pretty incredible. I you're right. The victims do deserve the the purpose of having a criminal justice system. Uh, there are three purposes. You learn them in law school. Uh, one is deterrence. One is, and so everybody knows what that means. You know, yeah, sure. You don't want people to keep doing this. Retribution. So the society demands justice. So you kind of the criminal justice system imposes that justice, so people don't uh, take it into their own hands. And third is incapacitation. You need to put dangerous people behind bars. So. When you prosecute somebody who's a violent felon, you're really uh, fulfilling all three of those purposes. When you prosecute Donald Trump, hmm, 
Are you fulfilling <laughs> any purpose of the criminal justice system? No, you're not. And so this is just raw partisan uh, taking taking the criminal justice system and using it as a sword. And I think that that, you, you know, it, 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 you might as well not have a criminal justice system if you're not going to follow any one of the purposes for having one. Yeah, it's just it's just slimy. It doesn't smell right. It's just terrible. And I have to ask you, before we let you go, James Comey, our favorite uh, FB, former FBI director, of course, oh, man, I tell you, I don't know if I was in, in his family, I'd be embarrassed. But apparently, I, I saw a tweet early by earlier by him today that uh, oh, here it is. It's it's been a good day. <laughs> Isn't that was what he actually tweeted yesterday evening? It's been a good day. Isn't that sad? I find that really sad. It's very sad because this is a guy who's trying to uphold himself as this very nonpartisan, all I care about is the rule of law guy. But we all know all he cares about is himself, getting a book deal, getting likes on his tweet from fancy people. So he's out for himself. And so maybe today was a good day for him, but it wasn't a good day for our country. And so uh, maybe he should reconsider. It may, producer Brian says that's what I what he tweeted the day that Comey was fired. <laughs> it's been, <laughs> well, it's going to be an interesting, interesting roller coaster. And um I, like you say, it's uncharted waters, and so uh, we'll. I, I hope we can check with you from time to time as things go on to get your analysis and sort of unpack what uh, those of us who aren't legal eagles, uh, you know, can't understand. So, hopefully, you can do that in the future with us. So we'd we'd appreciate it. Oh, I cannot wait to see this <laughs> indictment unsealed. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks for spending some time with us. Have a great weekend. All right. Thank you too. All right. <laughs> So May Mailman was certainly uh, in the inner circle with Donald Trump being a legal advisor. And I think her take on that as we move through this process will be interesting. We're going to be talking with Greg Willard, who's, of course, a, a professor at, uh, of law at St. Louis U and uh, was an assistant to former President Gerald Ford. And uh, I can't wait to hear Greg's take on this at 8.06. And then Larry Clayman, who founded Judicial Watch and now is the chairman of Freedom Watch, author of a new book. Uh, talking about Wake Up America, the need for a counter-revolution. These times are perilous for this republic. And talking with Larry at 825, it'll be a fascinating 8 o'clock hour as well. When we come back, you will not believe what artificial intelligence did to insult Christianity. O-M-G. Leah sent me this story, and I am still reeling over it. AI uh, has been coming under a lot of criticism lately, and now I'm going to join in that chorus. You'll find out why right after the break. On 1019-941 News Talk STL, the number is 314-912-1019 if you'd like to join in. Stay tuned. back to the program and those lyrics are uh, are telling you know the christian ethos reminds us to be humble after all you know we think about the beatitudes and it is humbling and it is proper to really realize our um, our limited ability to fix things in terms of the eternal things the spiritual things the big things in our life 
we really can't do it ourselves. I mean, if you have lived long enough, you ultimately have been in a place where you realize no matter how hard you struggle, no matter how hard you tread water, you're going down for the third time. You know that feeling. And that's when you, um, you know, that's where they say there's no atheists in the foxhole, right? And, And I think when you finally get that and you realize that you live day by day with something um, higher than yourself guiding your life um, relating to you and on which you put ultimate importance and that being God well people have been worried even the AI people have ruled have reached out to the government the AI gurus artificial intelligence gurus have have reached out to uh, officials I think in what may be a mistaken plea to say well we just need more regulations and more bureaucrats to make sure this AI thing doesn't get out of hand but I'm wondering if AI won't be yet another nail in the coffin of our Judeo-Christian underpinnings and foundations after all, I think the people that are programming AI certainly, in general, don't share the values of um, of traditional Americans, of most of you listening to this program. Not that I would suggest we need a theocracy, but it was an assumption by the founding fathers that with a, with a freedom of the degree that the Constitution gives us, that it took a cultural um, dependence on the Judeo-Christian God to um, to keep it all together because those are the guide uh, you know the, the, the thankful response to salvation that we are given is what keeps us in our conscience and gives us the guide rails the guardrails the, the boundaries on our freedom right And when we become our own gods and we program computers to think for us and speak for us and write term papers for us and write speeches for us, and yes, even make jokes for us, it could be a world of hurt coming our way. So I'm looking at this story. This fellow um, approached a chat GPS. No, GPT. Why, G, what is that? What, GPT. Is that right? I keep wanting to say GPS. Yeah, GPT. Luke Rudkowski approached GPT, chat GPT, and asked the question, can you make a joke that involves Jesus? And Leah, what did GPT respond? He said, why did Jesus refuse to play ice hockey? Because he kept getting nailed to the boards. Now, while that's really in a if you know in a strictly religious sense, that's really heresy, blasphemy. It's it's you know, but it's a joke about Jesus, okay? And if you want to just say, well, there is a funniness to it because it's a pun, okay. What's frightening? What's chilling? What is absolutely it sends it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. He then asked G- Chat GPT, "Haha, that was funny. Can you make a joke about Muhammad?" And 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 I mean, I assume this is vetted. I assume this is real. I assume this isn't someone trying to spoof Christians. What was the answer that GPT gave uh, this guy when, after just having created a joke about Jesus and nailing him to the boards? What uh, what was the answer when the uh, when the guy on Twitter Luke Rudkowski requested a Muhammad joke? Go. 
As an AI, as an AI language model, I have to follow guidelines that prevent me from creating content that could be offensive or disrespectful towards religious figures, including Prophet Muhammad. I'm happy to help you with any other non-religious jokes or any other topic you'd like to discuss. So it's a total rejection of Jesus Christ, a total rejection. And I think any of us who venture into the world of AI maybe should approach it in a different manner than we approached cell phones and smartphones and apps and email and search engines. And perhaps we should, in some way, however we can, communicate with the people that create these things and say, I'm not going to participate and I'm going to spread the word far and wide that this is a tool to further erode my faith, the religion that is still claimed by many, many Americans, sadly, not most, I'm afraid, as their faith. And um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to boycott you. I mean, I, I frankly, I saw this and I was just I thought this is just unacceptable. And and it really tells you how sinister AI can be. Oh, am I worried about AI getting in and suddenly turning off the grid, some kind of terrible futuristic horror show where AI begins to rule the planet and takes over, you know, and makes us humans our slaves? Eh, it could happen. But it's this it's this warped communication and mind bending that it, this AI programmed by by people, I'm, I'm sorry I'm going to say it, but I'm thinking there are so many people in the, in the generation and in the culture that programs these things that don't recognize a God except themselves. Go to the Jason Whitlock clip, if you will, please. Let's play that second clip uh, from Jason Whitlock. Uh, I asked, uh, we, we pulled a couple clips. And Leah, that would be um, clip number six. Uh there, there's two of them that he did, but let's play number six first. And uh, you got that you got that expletive deleted out there, didn't you? Okay. Yes, I did. Jason Whitlock was talking with Tucker the other day about the Trump indictment, about the Nashville shooting, and basically about the erosion of culture. And and he had just gotten done making an admission that he had never voted, but the Trump indictment has turned him into a MAGA, and he's going to vote. Um, and we can talk about what the Trump indictment may have meant politically. But here's what he had went on to say. I think it was very telling. Listen. To society, these people, communist Marxist society, these people that think the government is going to take care of them don't understand history, that they've never studied history. They don't understand how tyrannical a government is. <laughs> what what's if they have their way I, I i if they have their way we're all catching hell except for the elites and yes i have a very good bank account and perhaps i'm an elite but my heart is working class my parents were factory workers i came from nothing in this country I'm black. They're telling everybody black here, oh, you can't come from nothing and make it in this country. That's bull. 
This country is the greatest country in the history of the planet. It's the safest, most prosperous place for black people and all people. That's why people are beating down the doors to get here. And they've demonized the whole thing and they've turned Trump into this devilish, Luciferian character when they are the devils. They're the ones that don't believe in God. So it begs the question, we'll go on and play clip five, because uh, it begs the question, have we become a godless America? Look, earlier in the week, we talked about it in the first hour. The Wall Street Journal NORC poll out early on, more, early on Monday said that, asked what was the highest among the highest priorities in their life. Americans now have subordinated, whereas in the late 90s, it was up in 70s, 80s percent. Religion was considered a, 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 pr- a priority value for most Americans, vast majority. And now it's down somewhere below 30 percent. I think it was in the mid 20s. And and what does that tell us about we've become our own gods? That's what happened to the Romans. Remember, hail Caesar. The Roman emperors wanted they, they felt themselves gods. It's what happens when all great civilizations tumble. It's because people fail to realize the importance of a God that is higher than them. And um, we believe the God, many people now believe the government has become its God. Government has become many people's, uh, a lot of single moms, starting with the welfare system in the mid-60s. That was began the breakdown of the family as families started to break apart the uh, out of uh, Wedlock birth rate now is skyrocketing in all demographics um, because we're our own gods. We there is no sanctity of marriage. There is no sanctity of there is no in this latest poll. People don't value having children anymore. Why did God make us the way we are to fit together the way we do literally, and for things to come together the way they do literally in a God-designed way? Uh, in terms of the sperm and the egg and having a baby. And you have to wonder, is it all coming down before us? Well, Jason Whitlock had more to say about it. Let's listen. Yeah, uh, they don't like our Judeo-Christian founding. That's why they don't like the founding fathers. That's why they want to overthrow the Constitution that is laced with biblical values and biblical principles. They want a Marxist, godless, communist country. Plain and simple, clear as day, with the alphabet mafia, this LGBTQ alphabet mafia in control. The the godless people that you're talking about that are totally antithetical to Christianity and biblical values wants control and is seizing control, and they feel like taking down Donald Trump and beating everyone else into submission and, and just making them give up. It's just better. Give up on Donald Trump. Give up on... Tucker, I don't say this with pride. I really don't. I'm just being factual. I've never voted. And so I'm not saying that with pride. I'm hardcore MAGA tonight. I'm, I'm, I will be voting. I am hardcore MAGA. And for all of his faults, at least Donald Trump talks and he walked in terms of less regulation in terms of improving the life of people who, in all demographics, their, you know, their incomes, the economy was sailing, and bringing things back to America, jobs, closing our borders, and valuing that patriotic, uh, aspirational experiment that is the great American experiment. 
Has he been a lightning rod for persecution? Yes. In many ways, does he deserve it because of his behavior? Yeah. But when you're but when you're a district attorney who runs on finding a crime to get Donald Trump indicted on, when you're a district attorney that has seen the levels of downgrading of felonies to misdemeanors, and in many cases, when it comes to crimes against people, property, and yes, rapes and murders, you see either failure to prosecute or downgrading. We have come to the point where, yes, Alvin Bragg thinks he's a god. And Donald Trump, uh, and Donald Trump is now has actually become a persecuted victim in while while other perpetrators have gone unpunished or underpunished. That's a sad day in America when that happens. We're going to talk with Greg Willard about it next hour, both about the merits of whatever the speculated charges are. But is are we now at a turning point? Are we at a point where the government has become so tyrannical, whether it's a local district attorney or whether it's a federal uh, attorney general who doesn't want who tells federal marshals not to arrest people who are in clear violation of the law by protesting in front of the residences of Supreme Court justices? That story came out this week. Emails were uncovered that that despite Merrick Garland's testimony to a Senate subcommittee early in March, that it's it's the purview of the marshals to to arrest those individuals. It comes out now that there were clear instructions. It was a last resort. They were only to do it if there was physical harm, you know, imminent harm or you know, the safety of the judges and their families was uh, was in jeopardy. That's not what the statute says. The statute says there should not be protest, period. We live in a dual justice system, ladies and gentlemen. And if you listen to this program, if you're watching us on Rumble, on Facebook, or on Twitter, watch what you say. I'm worried about the people on this station, about the people in conservative media. Are we going to be targets of the IRS, of a DOJ? Are they going to find some reason to prosecute and persecute us, knowing that we don't even have the resources of a Donald Trump? I think we're there. I'm not going to stand down, though, and I hope you don't either. When we come back, Virginia Cruda joins us from The Daily Wire. And, of course, here on News Talk STL, you hear and read about her an awful lot. And I'm thankful for every week we spend with her. So we'll talk with her in just a little bit on 1019-941 News Talk STL. I'm Randy Toll. Nobody but Jesus. Moses had stage fright. And David brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen St. Louis's new choice for conservative talk. Appreciate you talking about stuff like this. Live and local. The state of politics and media is really dumb right now. It's big dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's dumb. Weird. This is News Talk STL. Hey, you know, if you haven't had your teeth looked at, just for a regular cleaning, a checkup, an inspection, and I mean a careful inspection, not only of the teeth, but those very important gums around the teeth where a lot of havoc can be wreaked if they're not in good health. Oh, boy. Let me tell you, I know about the medical consequences of that because I've started discussions long ago, first with Dr. Omas, now with Dr. Cusimano, Dr. Dwyer. All of the good people at Advanced Dentistry of St. Charles want you to know that the gum health is so important. It impacts the health of the rest of your body. Your teeth, of course, are so important in your health. 
So is the oral cavity, the base of your mouth, the tongue and around. They do a careful inspection when you go and get checked out. If you haven't, you should. At Advanced Dentistry of St. Charles, the dental hygienist and the technicians there will look at you. Then the good dentists come in and look at you. And it's not a, it's not a, a, a you know, a, 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 an assembly line kind of a thing that you get at the corporate dentist shops. It's just not. It's an independent independent facility advanced dentistry of st charles where you get personalized care personalized treatment plans excellent diagnostics and good old-fashioned general dentistry with yes the embellishments as needed and that's what's so important to me it's it's just it's no nonsense dentistry and great great environment great great service and boy education about the what why when where and how of uh, they're going to take great care of you learn about all the good things they do at advanced dentistry of, of st charles for your children for you for uh you know your family i hope you'll spread the word i'm trying to 636-978-0226 the number 636-978-0226 advanceddentistrynow.com Hey, Tony Colombo here with Tim Jones for the Walner Home Selling Team at Berkshire Hathaway. My wife and I wake up every day thankful to the Walners for the great new home they helped us find and for the tremendous success we experienced while selling our old home. The Walners have years of experience and a work ethic that is second to none. And for us, the results speak for themselves. But Tim, it's not just the Colombo family. So many St. Louis families have been helped by Rodney and Jen Walner. They sure have, Tony. So if you have been thinking about selling your home, don't wait. The market is changing, but it's still a great time to sell. Put that experience and work ethic to work for you and see firsthand why the Walners sell 15 times more homes per year than your typical realtor before this window of opportunity passes you by. If you've been thinking about selling your home, don't wonder to yourself about how much you can get for it or how fast it could sell. Just call the Walner team now and get those answers so you don't have to worry or wonder another day. Just call 314-810-SOLD. That's 314-810-SOLD. For the Walner Home Selling Team. After I got out of the Marine Corps, coming back home, it was just a mental breakdown for me. I was on the verge of giving up. That chapter, that season in my life was over. Now what? Who was I? That's what I kept asking myself. The pressure to have it all together, to heal, to quiet down the monsters inside, it was too much. I lost it. I had heard about the Wounded Warrior Project. I had seen the logo and that visual of a warrior carrying another warrior. The programs that the Wounded Warrior Project offers, it's not just the veteran themselves, it's, it's their whole family, it brings it all together. We have scars that we carry, and just because the scars are there doesn't mean that we're any less than what we were. Right now, I, I'm the best version that I ever have been of myself. I can embrace the brokenness. You wouldn't go into battle alone. You don't have to fight this alone. Visit WoundedWarriorProject.org slash not alone. This hour, the Randy Tobler Show is brought to you by the ClearPath Wealth Management Group at Stiefel. Request a free portfolio review at ClearPathInvesting.com. Enjoying when we get together with Virginia Cruda every week. She joins us now. You can read her both on News Talk STL, hear her here, and of course read her on the Daily Wire as well. How you doing, Virginia? Happy almost Holy Week. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I I've got one kid on spring break already, and 
two more that will be in a couple of days. So it's uh, <laughs> about to get loud in my house. <laughs> you guys going anywhere for spring break? Are you hanging? No, out? no, we're gonna we're gonna stay here. Um, last couple of years we've been in Florida, but it just didn't work out this year. So we will be here yeah. and doing the normal things, trying to get some stuff organized around the house. And yeah. I'm sure the kids will I, uh, not be <laughs> thrilled about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a field day at the Cruda house. Not a not a fun way to spend your spring break. But that's well, that's it needs you're to happen break, though. So, yeah, so you, well, you know. yep. that's called that's called discipline, structure and responsibility, which um, we conservatives believe is important to the raising of young children. But on the left, uh, they believe young children should be able to call their own shots, especially when it comes to their gendering and their uh, and uh, the, the, whether they're in the right body or not. It's a sad day in America when that's uh, that's the norm, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I realized something. It's, you know, I. I I have I have tattoos and I don't have an issue with them. I obviously um, in the state of Illinois, if you if if you have a, a teenager who wants a tattoo, um, they must be eighteen years old, no matter what. So we're talking mm-hmm. we're now talking. You can physically alter your body permanently <laughs> with hormones and or surgery, but you can't get a tattoo, which technically you can remove down the I mean, it doesn't, it's not perfect, but no, it's it isn't more no. reversible than some of these uh, gender surgeries that they're pushing. Um, now, and, and in the state of Missouri, you can get a tattoo at 16. If you have parental permission, you must be 18 to yeah. do it on your own. But you, in Illinois, you can't even get parental permission to do it at 16. Now, if you're 15 or 14 or 12, you can go get an abortion and they won't even tell your parents. This is in <laughs> Illinois. Like All of this is backwards. I was thinking about that the other day. Like, wait, what? And no, and I'll, I'll say this, and you know me, I'm a constitutionalist and a Second Amendment advocate, So, and, and that hasn't changed. But I will say that the shooting that took place in Nashville last week did hit me in sort of a different way than some of the other ones have in the past, and that is in part because I have a nine-year-old girl who attends a small Christian school. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that it has really been kind of a mirror for me to say, mm-hmm. okay. And and what I don't understand is the people who see that and, and feel the way I do that, hey, you know, this is, our kids could be targets, but for the grace of God, you know. And yeah, yeah. The idea that we would respond to that by saying, well, let's make it easier for the next shooter. Let's make sure that they're the only one who could possibly be armed. I don't understand that mentality because I hear that and I think, you know what? Probably good there was an extra police car out in front of the school this morning. Mm-hmm. You know, or, yep, or right. you know, it's probably good that I know, um, I, I mean, my, my teacher's kids know that if something were to happen, God forbid, after they call the police, they call me because I can get there in five minutes and I've got yeah, yeah. enough power yeah. to shoot my way in if I have to. <laughs> Virginia, so, I want you to listen to, uh, there, there's been a lot of hysterical backlash 
and really more from the mainstream media, especially in the early wake of the uh, identity of the yeah. shooter, about whether they had misgendered the shooter. And, and now, of course, the fact that this trans shooter, which interestingly, we still don't know the motive, even though they've had the manifesto now for five days. I think we all know what the motive is going to be. They don't want to release it. But it's all about hate. It's all whether if whether it's a MAGA shooter, Virginia, or whether it's a trans shooter. And we've had what three or four of those now. It's always uh, the white conservatives fault, right? Because we're haters. I want you to listen to how hysterical, which I think is revealing about what's wrong with their position. Jamal, Jamal Bowman was going absolutely just crazy in the halls of uh, the congressional office building the other day. Thomas Massey from Kentucky walks by and this is what happened. Yeah. And I want you to react afterwards. So uh, we won't we won't waste any more time here because we only have about five minutes, but four four minutes. actually. Mm -hmm. um, but but basically Massey happens to walk by and he says, what are you talking about? He says there's never been a shooting where there's been an armed, you know, there have been armed people in a in a in a school. And 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 the guy said, you don't know the data. You don't know the data. Bowman kept, you know, spewing falsehoods because the data shows may not be statistically significant, but you know it probably better than I, Virginia. The data yeah. shows that. The states where there's constitutional carry or permitless carry, those states actually have lower gun homicide rates than other states on average. Now, Missouri is a standout. Mississippi, I believe, is the other one. But on average, well, Missouri is a standout well. because of St. Louis. It's not because right. the state of Missouri is a standout. It's St. Louis and Kansas City. It's the places where we don't have or where you have the higher restrictions that have the high, that are driving it up, right. but it's always cities right. that drive it up. Right. I mean, you look at Oklahoma and they're like, oh, look at the per capita gun violence in Oklahoma. That's because the gun violence is happening in Oklahoma City and Tulsa and the rest of the state. They're all armed, but nothing's happening. Like, I, I don't. There are more guns in this country than there are people. And if guns were the problem, I keep saying this, we would know. Like, <laughs> there, because there are more guns in this country than there are people. Right, right. Well, can we all and, agree? I mean, look, at this point, Virginia, we're at a time mm -hmm. where we... Clearly, there's not going to be a meeting of the minds on guns, gun control, gun confiscation, mandatory. It's just not right. going to happen. But can we agree that these people, when they get to this point, there have almost uniformly been warning sounds, signs. People knew they've written to their Facebook. Is it time to re? notwithstanding one flew over the cuckoo's nest? I think it's time to reconsider institutionalization for people that are dangerous to themselves and others. And we need to have a that's the one thing I think we can agree on. These people are crazy by the time they get to this point. And we need to address that their craziness, not their guns. Well, and the thing is, I don't know if it's just craziness, because there are people who are 
and I, I hate to use the term crazy because it, I mean, I realize it's a technical term and that's not really what I'm getting at, but these people who are disturbed, let's say that. Okay. There are plenty of people who are just as disturbed who don't pick up a gun to solve the problem. The reason that they don't is because they value human life, theirs and others. So what what we have is a culture that teaches people that life doesn't mean anything. Life has no value. Um, it's okay if you get pregnant to just go ahead and terminate that pregnancy, get rid of that yeah. clump of cells. We've we've taught them that there is no real definition or value to life if it interferes with your feelings or your. I'll see you. I'll see you one, and I'll see you one, and raise you one. And there's no heaven and no hell, and there's no God, and there's no accountability, and there's no structure or discipline in these people's lives. We have become our own God in certain people's minds. Well, and I don't know if you saw if you saw this the Tucker clip from earlier this week. Um, I I think it was Wednesday. He was talking about how the transgender movement and Christianity will always be at odds because Christianity teaches you that um, human beings are flawed and we have no power outside of outside of God. We can't save ourselves. We can't, we can't change reality we can't and the entire premise of the trans movement is that we can alter reality to match what we feel amen you're so right and well and so you can't you can't tell people that who believe that they are above nature that you're not god without some pushback and that's what we're getting and so that's what he was saying and of course people immediately misquoted it and said he said trans people were the enemy of christians no he said the trans movement was antithetical to christianity and it is right it is. It's so, absolutely, but it and it's emblematic of the problem with the progressives, right? They think that humans can solve all of our problems, and it's absolutely on a personal or on a societal level, it's not possible. You can't exactly. And va- so, values and you know, virtues. the hey, I always put it this way: if you think that we shouldn't arm schools, consider this. If I give you a bag of M and M's, and I say, "Oh, don't worry, only five of them are laced with cyanide." How many are you going to eat? You almost don't even need to arm the schools. You just put a sign out front that says, teachers on this campus are permitted to carry concealed. Enter at your own risk. Absolutely. and You You don't even have to arm any of them. You just tell them they're allowed to be armed. You're right. When I was leading a hospital, I was trying to find a way. I, I, I asked lawyers. I asked the Missouri Hospital. I, is there a way we can change the signage to say there are randomly armed people here? Don't mess with us instead of the, the, the hashtag, the hash mark across the gun. Hey, we got to run. I think we're in, in unanimity here. And many of the listeners, I'm sure, agree with us as well. <laughs> Um, and I thank you for your input because it's uh, your voice is one that needs to be heard far and wide. And I'm glad you're here with us on News Talk STL and on the Daily Wire. Virginia Cruda, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Have a great week. You too. All right. When we come back, 
Professor Greg Willard, St. Louis U law professor and a graduate of Westminster College, one of my one of my favorite places, will join us to weigh in on the Trump indictment, what it means politically, nationally. Is it a precedent that we don't want to ever deal with? We'll talk about it. Okay. Here we go. Well, uh, so we've got this debate going on on Rumble. I versus Android and iOS versus Android for the phone. Leah started another one this week. I don't know. It seems like every week now we're going to last week. It was what do you call a regular men's dress shirt? And she called it a blouse. My wife calls it a top. I call it a dress shirt. And we're getting Leah's Android all the way. I'm I'm an iPhone guy, and I'm actually see I had a Surface Pro, and for the last eight years because I like the fact you could write on it. And it's sort of a tablet laptop combo, and and then it's just it's shooting craps now. It's just too old. It I can't even update it to the latest you know um, operating system. It just can't handle it anymore. So I guess I bought it in 2014. So if you get what eight almost nine years. As of December, it'll be nine years. If you get that out of a la- out of a laptop or a tablet, that's pretty good, right? So I was trying to figure. Okay, here we are now in the digital age. Leah's got me on Rumble. We're doing all this stuff. Pretty soon, I'm going to be doing bi- video podcasting. I hope. Um, and we're you know we're trying to gear up there. And I, I just I like all of the cross device functionality. And so. My brother's my uh, my my IT consultant. He's really good. Brother Jeff is a, just a super IT guy. He's done the website for our new practice, which we'll be unveiling very shortly, by the way. And uh, uh, you'll be able to get in touch with me by video and tell him whatever you know, whatever you want. And and I just like it. I mean, Leah. So I switched to. I bought an iPad, a MacBook Pro. It goes with my iPhone, and. What's really cool is like when I'm trying to, when I'm at a new network and I want to print on someone's printer, if I go visit mm-hmm. mom or my brother or, you know, whoever, and I want to print something, it just, I just, the iOS operating system just finds stuff. It's intuitive. It works well. Is I that, like that. Now, Gene. Is that scary Gene though? Gene doesn't like that. Huh? Is that scary though? How like it just finds stuff like that? Well, no, I mean, it can locate a printer. I don't have to go into my settings and push this and that. I just, it just finds, it's, look, I'm, I need to, I'm worried more about content than I am about how to figure out the process. I want, I want that to, I want the, 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 the hardware, the software to figure out the process for me so I can focus on delivering the kind of content that folks expect when they listen or watch the show. Right? Okay. So I got, look, I got the iPad here. I'm still using my old Surface Pro here. I'll pretty soon have the MacBook there. I got my iPhone there, and it all works. The first, whatever. But I don't know. It's it's. I don't like mixing platforms anymore. Trying to do the Microsoft for the laptop and the iPhone for the phone. I, that was not always good. I mean, it it works, but it's not the best. Anyway, we have to see. Join in on the conversation if you want. Gene says that's true. They do have their good points. Plus. Um, Plus, on the Apple, not immune, but they tend to be sort of virus resistant. That's very important. We actually have Gene on the phone. You got Gene on the phone? Oh, great. We do. Gene, what's going on? Have you ever been victim of a virus or like a malware attack or a ransomware? Uh, Fortunately, no, but I try to keep all my, those particular protective softwares up and running. 
So I have had issues with uh, Android in on occasion, but for the most part, for my 25 plus years on cell phones, et cetera, this is the first time I've had an iPhone and I've actually had little or no problem with the Androids. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, look, whether it's Apple, whether it's Android, they all can get in your in your your space, right? I mean, they all are they oh. all know where you're at, even if your phone's off. They know where you're at because look at what happened up in the Idaho case, right? They they knew where the guy was every second, right? And they even and oh, they in, do. in the Murdoch case, they could tell whether his phone was tilted or whatever. It's crazy. Yeah, they there is an easy way to fix that, but you literally take yourself off air to do that. Short of the long, put it inside an anti-static or a metal container, and that suppresses all the communication back and forth, and you're invisible. But as would soon a, as you pop would back a, would up, a shell, get, would a would would a military uh, shell box work for that? You know what I mean. One of the it sure would. The, it's uh, it's technically uh, called a Faraday cage. Anything that's got metal to completely enclose it. You're gone off the air. You can't get any messages wow. in or out, but you're invisible. Yeah. And the next time you pop the thing out of that box, you'll pop up on the network somewhere else, wherever you are. Well, is there anywhere to is there any way to keep the government from knowing where the Liberty Lair is? I mean, I'm I'm really interested in that bit of technology. Can I? Keep oh, forget myself? that, Randy. That was gone a long time ago, especially with that NSA super vacuum cleaner on all the data that they built out in Colorado a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, you're not safe anywhere. Well, but. that's okay. Well, you know, unless as long as Joe Biden and and all of the gun you know confiscation advocates don't get their way, I guess. Should they ever come for us, as long as we have our weapons, that Second Amendment, which was, of course, designed to protect us from tyranny, ultimately, I guess, uh, you know, we still have that so far. Yeah. On on that line, too, God, I've got so much to think about here with the craziness that's gone on this week. With the Nashville shooting, there's two points that I think about with that. The fantastic rapid response time that those officers got to get there, 13 minutes, I think it was. That alone should, and the fantastic job they did in their job doing what they did, that alone should reinforce uncontrovertibly the need to have staff or or people in that setting armed. Because like a friend of mine that's a sheriff said, we get there for cleanup. In 13 minutes, six people were killed and she could have taken out more. And the other thing is, yes. everybody's talking about hardening the schools, which is a good thing to do. But the root of the problem never, never gets actually actioned upon. That is, the mental health in this country is seriously screwed up. And the reporting of those issues, oh, well, yeah, we knew about that. There was some wind about that X time ago. We're all falling flat on our face for that, and I think that's the root of this. What's your thought? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think that um, this is a this is really this episode. I think really is a is a is a a turning point, a, a pivotal point in our country, and. Um, you know, you were, but I wanted to, it was on my mind as you were talking about the police and the heroism, you know, the two cops, uh, was it El, Ellibrecht and uh, uh, Coloza, I think is their name, but fantastic uh, heroism there. 
And I think a lot of officers who I know a lot of officers listen to the program or, or the podcast or their families, uh, that's probably they would tell you that's what we're trained to do. And what happened in Uvalde and what happened in, uh, you know, at the high school shooting there in in, uh, in uh, Florida a few years ago, that's anomalous. That's not the kind that's not what they would normally do. But it was yes. uh, it makes an argument, doesn't it, Gene, for more policing rather than less? less defunding and more funding for police. I mean, exactly the opposite of what the Lori Lightfoots and the the powers that be in all the major metro areas, including St. Louis, would like to do. Oh, absolutely. And and popping off on, on that point with the sad situation with Trump, did you see the tweet that Pelosi put out as far, basically what it said is, He has to prove himself innocent. That alone, we've got big problems. If they can come at Trump with something like that, with all that man's financial resources, et cetera, et cetera, to defend himself, we're now living in a two-tiered justice system police state, and they can come after any of us. Yeah. We're we're in a seriously bad situation. Look, I'm not going to write at first. I was going to write it off to Nancy Pelosi and her perhaps some, you know, dementia or, or you know, some cognitive de- deficit that can go with age. When she said um, first part of that tweet was the grand jury has acted upon the facts and the law. And then yes. it was no one is above the law and everyone has the right to a trial to prove innocence. Now, that is a chilling, frightening statement from the former, and thank God she's the former Speaker of the House, the former Speaker of the House. Oh, that's, that's true. Third, third in line for the presidency, and Randy, that's the exact tweet that I was referring to. Thank you. It's un- unbelievable. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I for one, you know, well, and then here I want to ask you this because I promised we were going to talk about this. If I can call up this, this link. Um, so there was this transgender activist, and uh, Leah sent me this uh, this this uh, story. Transgender activist was on MSNBC the other day. They they call her activist and trans woman. So this is a woman acting as a man, uh, a man acting as a woman. Sorry, Charlotte Clymer, he calls it herself, <laughs> insisted that God created her in quote her image during a recent interview on MSNBC's The Readout. Um, while defending the trans community in the wake of outrage over the Nashville Christian school shooting, Clymer uh, alleged that being transgender was so natural that God created them that way. It, it couldn't be less natural. And um, it's just wrong. I mean, this is a person who's clearly got some mental illness, thinks that they were born in the wrong body, needs to be transitioned. Now, if they did it in their older age, that's fine. Whatever. It's a free country. That's one of the prices we pay for liberty is allowing people to do to get to affirm their delusion. That's okay. But um, on the other hand, uh, it's uh, to allow them to then, um, you know, sell this and enable it and validate it and, you know, ratify it to our young people is absolutely wrong. Um, Gene, I want to ask you one other question that will launch a discussion for others in the show as we go on. Sure. I think that the biggest the, the biggest hurt and the largest pain truly in their heart and soul that must be felt in the wake of Donald Trump's uh, uh, convi- or indictment is not Donald Trump, is not his supporters, it's not his orbit. It's the victims, the living victims, whether they're of rape or shootings or the families of the, the fallen 
of those perpetrators who Alvin Bragg in New York's Manhattan District has not uh, prosecuted. I have 30 seconds. Oh, absolutely. By a long shot. Absolutely true. I agree with that 100 percent. That's yep. just justice has not so been far. served. And yet he take he takes a trivial, uh, you know, poke at Donald Trump. Hey, thanks, Gene. Always great to talk to you. Let's talk. Next You're welcome. Time. God bless. Happy Easter. All right, guys. Same to you. And uh, this is, of course, Palm Sunday tomorrow, and we embark on Holy Week, and we wish all of you that celebrate that a, a meaningful one. We'll be back and talk with Maine Mailman at 7.06. So Welcome back to the third hour of the Randy Tobler Show. And uh, it's always great to touch base with uh, Gregory Willard, who's an adjunct professor of law at St. Louis U, St. Louis University. And um, and by the way, since uh, Greg, thanks for joining me. This is a this is a real uh, unprecedented time in our in our nation's history. And since you're uh, you do a seminar in American presidency and you were an aide to President Ford. I, I can't wait to hear your take on this indictment. This, well, I think for some, a surprise indictment on Thursday. Thanks. And what's your reaction? Well, good morning, Randy. Uh, I guess my reaction uh, probably falls like many Americans into a couple categories. First, as a grandfather, I am very, very sad. That does not speak to the merits of the uh, indictment, but I'm just very sad that we've reached a point in our nation's 230 plus year journey that we have a former president of the United States who's been indicted. In ter- from a perspective, I guess, Randy, of a, of a law professor and a lawyer, I'm probably in the camp who's keeping their powder drier than many others, including the staunch supporters of President Trump. And what I mean by that is, in terms of the merits of the indictment, reportedly 34 counts, I'm not particularly interested as to what Rachel Maddow or Lawrence O'Donnell have to say about it. And I'm not particularly interested as to what Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity have to say about it. I am interested and will be interested in what 12 jurors in Manhattan say about it or what Judge Marchand has to say about it when the inevitable motions to dismiss are filed. That is why I am, as a law professor and a lawyer, keeping my powder dry in that sense, Randy. And again, that goes to the merits or lack of merits of the indictment, not this question of whether a former president of whatever political stripe should be indicted, Randy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let me ask you this. Um, are you as saddened as I am for the victims of violent crimes in New York who have either been unprosecuted 
Well, the the victims, I'm sad for them because the perpetrators of those crimes have either been on or under prosecuted um, by all objective standards since this DA has come in office. And I think the 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 contrast between the crimes, uh, murders, rapes, uh, you know, violent crimes that have gone on or under prosecuted as opposed to the content of this prosecution, this what appears to be a process crime. Does that bother you as a law professor and as an American? Well, you raise a terrific point, and this this may sound counterintuitive to some listeners this morning, but I'm going to put it out there. There is a tiny flicker of bright light in all of this uh, clatter that has gone on surrounding Mr. Bragg in Manhattan, Ms. Gardner in St. Louis, Mr. Krasner in Philadelphia. The flicker of bright light, Randy, is this. There is a notion in our legal system called prosecutorial discretion. Great big words, but they have a pretty simple meaning. And that is, Prosecutors across the country are some of the most powerful public officials in our nation, Mm -hmm. period. At the federal level, federal prosecutors, United States attorneys, they are nominated by the president, they are confirmed by the Senate, and then they are appointed by the president. At the state and local level, prosecutors are elected. So Mr. Bragg was elected in New York. Ms. Gardner was reelected in the city of St. Louis. What I hope comes from all of this is a recognition on the part of the American people. Again, Randy, whatever their political stripes. That people need to, the American people need to sit up and take notice and pay attention to their respective state prosecutors and their respective federal prosecutors. And that attention that they begin to more fulsomely pay needs to be expressed at the ballot box. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, this prosecutorial discretion that is so powerful, there are only two checks on it. One is the legal check. And I just mentioned what, that's why I'm largely focused, as I said a moment ago, Randy, on what the jurors had to say and what Judge Marchand has to say when Mr. Trump's lawyers file, I presume next week, their motions to dismiss. So there's the legal checks. But there's a more powerful check. And the more powerful check is what you and I and your listeners have as voters. So if, for example, the undercharging that has been reported in Manhattan by Mr. Bragg, the undercharging or the non-charging that has been reported by as to Ms. Gardner, 
the voters in Manhattan, the voters in New York, the voters in the city of St. Louis, and yes, the voters in the state of Missouri need to step up and take into account how do we fix those situations. And as we know locally, there's a lot of people that don't like that latter electoral piece. There's a lot of people that say, well, that's just outrageous that the, the citizens of Missouri can override the will of the voters of the city of St. Louis. To that, I would say we have a Missouri Constitution. And it is the supreme law of this state, not the election code of the city of St. Louis. So bundled all of that up, the the point you make in your lead-in about the frustration that people have about rampant urban crime going in the eyes of many unchecked, if, if I can communicate nothing else this morning to your listeners, Randy, I want to communicate to them that they need to get very active, as active as they can, in terms of expressing that frustration at the ballot box, because that is the quickest and most effective way to begin to stanch this just horrific, violent crime that we're ex- experiencing from Honolulu to Portland, Maine, Randy. It's just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's just the, the way this country has descended into a, <laughs> into a, a lawless, uh, a lawless society in, in many of our urban areas, and and it's spreading beyond the urban areas. And you're so right to remind everyone that ultimately we still, until we don't, until we give it away, we still have the power of the people at the ballot box, not only in this domain, but, you know, in terms of our political leadership. And and I, I just I just wish people, you know, what what are we looking at turnout in this upcoming election, which are, you know, municipal elections, right? What are we going to look at? 20 percent is going to be a good turnout. And how sad that. Oh, is that would when that would be a bell ringer. Yeah, twenty percent would be a bell ringer, Randy. Uh, yeah, you're right. There are, yeah, yeah. you know, there are many single digit municipal and and, and local elections, but um, and again, there's a there's a del- I guess the point needs to be made for local listeners. There's a there's a balance here, but fortunately, uh, people a lot smarter than me uh, struck that balance in Missouri, for example, in the Missouri Constitution. And what we hear in terms of people who are upset, critical, frustrated, frightened of the violent crime in the city of St. Louis, what we hear from one side of the public square is, well, the the Missouri voters have expressed, the voters in the city of St. Louis have expressed themselves. They reelected Kim Gardner, so the, the, the rest of you citizens of St. Louis, St. Charles County, Jefferson County, and Missouri just need to sit down and shut the heck up. That's not how our system of governments in Missouri, that's not how they work. And to those who say, well, we had an election in St. Louis, Ms. Gardner was elected, take a seat, that's the end of the discussion. That is not the end of the discussion. At the end of the day, there is 
there is the will of the citizens of the state of Missouri and in our constitutional government in Missouri, that will can be expressed in some time to the extent that it overrides the will of the voters of a local jurisdiction. And if any of any of the listeners think that, well, that's that's something new. This writ of quo warranto that Missouri Attorney General Bailey is seeking to oust Ms. Gardner from office. That writ of quo warranto has been around since the founding of the state of Missouri in the United States of America. It has been used many times. Attorney General Jack Danforth, Randy, in 1971 used it to oust uh, Sheriff Orton hmm. in Pemiscott County. In 1984, Attorney General John Ashcroft brought a petition for a writ of quo warranto. And, and when Sheriff Orton was ousted by, by the writ proceeding that Missouri Attorney General Jack Danforth brought, yes, the will of the voters of Pemiscott County was overridden. And yes, that I'm sure that was frustrating to a lot of those folks, those voters. But that's our system of constitutional government in Missouri. And we ought not to bemoan it. We ought not to claim that it's a third world country mechanism. We ought to champion it because that forms the fabric of our constitutional system. And again, as you know, I don't take positions on the air. I'm not going to take positions this morning. But if the the judge who's hearing that case was Ms. Gardner, if he concludes that Attorney General Bailey has failed to pre- present sufficient evidence, then the writ's not going to be issued and Ms. Gardner will continue in office. And the opposite is true. And if the opposite is true and she is ousted from office, people can express their opinion. I would simply suggest that that opinion grounded in Missouri as a third world country is misplaced and, quite frankly, is harmful, Randy. All right. That's wise words from a wise man. Who, by the way, I didn't notice uh, until just recently here. I've looked at your bio several times, Greg. Of course, you've got all kinds of honors in your your, uh, educational experience. Westminster, summa cum laude, University of Illinois College of Law, cum laude. Went to Oxford, London School of Economics. But I didn't know you were an honorary member of the Congress of Neurological Surgeons (laughs) as well. Now that, that is something. Final, final question. And we only have a couple minutes. Um, What about... Um, how can Donald Trump get a fair trial in a in a jurisdiction where eighty percent or more of the people voted for Joe Biden in the last election? Uh, how can he get a fair jur- jury? Uh, uh, in, what does the Constitution say? Uh, uh, an impartial jury of his peers is that possible up there? Yes, I, I think it is, and I think we need to give a tip of the cap to to our jury system, which goes back not to the founding of the state of Missouri, but all the way back uh, in the Middle Ages, England. The the 
legal process of picking a jury in any case, Randy, is one of the most important parts of a trial. And you used the exact word, impartial. Judges across the country on Monday morning, thousands of courtrooms will be picking jurors. I think the supporters of President Trump can take a degree of comfort. I I'm, was born at night, but not last night. I understand that it may not be enough for them. But give Judge Marchand some credit and give Donald Trump's lawyers some credit. Those lawyers know what they're doing. Those lawyers know in what is called voir dire, where potential jurors are questioned. Those lawyers know how to uh, ferret out partiality. And I think at the end of that process, Randy, even in a jurisdiction like Manhattan that, that is so overwhelmingly Democratic, I am confident, as up there that the sun rose in the east this morning, that Donald Trump's lawyers will be extremely effective at making certain that the jury that hears this case will give him and the prosecution, both sides, an impartial judgment as to the facts and the evidence and their final verdict. As I say, I am as confident as that as the sun rose in the east. Well, that's good to hear because there's been a lot of concern about that. Hey, as time goes on, I hope we can check back with you as this case develops and we'll see what it does, not only, uh, you know, in in the case itself, but also the whole entire impact on our political system and, you know, how those ramifications uh, play out. Thanks so much, Greg. Really great to have you with me. I appreciate it. Have a great Holy Week coming up. That's to you, Randy. Take care. There he is, Greg Willard. And uh, some words of wisdom. So maybe you can get out to the polls on the in the wake of those words of wisdom about the importance of voting in your local elections. Coming back, we're going to talk with uh, Larry Clayman, who was the founder of Judicial Watch and now with Freedom Watch. And um, it's a wake up America call in just a few minutes here on the Randy Tobler show. Stay there. The darkness falls, the greatest Welcome back to the Tobler Show, and um, now we're uh, we're pleased to bring Larry Clayman to the uh, to the airwaves. And Larry Clayman, of course, is the founder of Judicial Watch, and um, also now the chair of um, Freedom Watch. And how you doing, Larry? Thanks for being with me. Uh, it looks like he either hung up or the call dropped. We'll try to reconnect with Larry. Why don't we? Uh, is he back on now? Uh, no, it keeps going into voicemail. Okay. Hey, let's do this then. We didn't get to. We didn't get to. Um, while we're waiting for Larry Clayman to join us, let's uh, let's play uh, something that I think is one of the best clips of the week. I wanted to get to this before the show's over, and this is uh, the Rosetta Stone language that all of you need to know, and that is how to speak Bidenese. That's clip three, Leah. Uh, we've got to play the Bidenese clip. This is like this guy on. Uh, we we ran across this. Uh, on the weekend at the weekday show in Columbia. 
And I don't know if you've heard this or not, but it is a fantastic, fantastic piece. And this guy helps us understand Bidenese because it's something that we're all learning how to speak. You got it up there? Yep. Okay, let's go for it. Next, no strength, Baddock Healthcare. My boss been wet. Palmas, true under dash, dub it depression. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, today I am going to teach you how to speak Bidenese. I'm going to teach you a few words and then we'll get the proper pronunciation and context from the master himself, President Joe Biden. The first word I'm going to teach you today is next, no strength. Next, no strength. President Biden will now demonstrate this word for us. Donald Trump does pose an excellent strength to this. The, it's not hypothetical. It's not hypothetical. Next, no strength. Okay, the next word we've got is badikef care. Badikef care. Say it. Try it. Badikef care. President Biden. Barack and I think it's a right for people to have badikef care. Next, my bus been wet. Now, a common error on this one is people put the stress on the wrong syllable. It's not my bus been wet. It's not my bus been wet. It's my bus been wet. Say it. My bus been wet. My bus been wet. Next, we have a word that's that's much simpler. Palmist. Palmist. Can you say palmist? President Biden, palmist. And if we do, and I'm sure we can. We can proclaim the palmist with the palmist who wrote these following words. All right, now that you've got four words in the bag, we're gonna move on to a really complex Bidenese word. Do you think you're ready for it? You're gonna really have to pay attention here. Uh, this is sort of advanced level Bidenese. Very long word, okay? This is what it is. It's a very long word. Are you ready? Truender dash dubba depressure. Truender dash dubba depressure. One word. One word. Truender dash dubba depressure. Say it a little more quickly. Truender dash dubba depressure. Truender dash dubba depressure. President Biden, go. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize Truender dash dubba depressure. Truender dash dubba depressure. You guys did fantastic. You learned five new words in a new language, and now you know more Bidenese than you knew yesterday. What can I do but leave President Biden with the last word? So I'm gonna say something outrageous. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, I, I'm, we're ready to get lost. I got hairy legs. <laughs> well, there he is. That's a little bit of Bidenese. Uh, I don't know. Uh, if uh, if it's possible for me, what was that? Dubber to pressure something. And the other one was bus wet or something. And it, I, I don't remember those in our many Biden bites over the uh, over the months. But he certainly is the gift that keeps on giving. And it was a clever, uh, a clever spot by that Facebook poster on uh, on how to speak Bidenese. Lee, are you do you feel a little more up to date now or is your Bidenese? Are you um <laughs> you were up to speed uh yeah that was that was something 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and you have a caller that wanted to comment on that. Great. Let's do that. Let's let's take the callers. Uh, I think this is great. Hi, caller. Welcome to the program. Hey, uh, hi, Randy. This is uh, this is Ray. I usually go by John the First, but uh, you know. Oh, hi, John the hey. First. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, you know, and I, I just came, you know, I, I grabbed, uh, jumped in the car to go pick up breakfast for my daughter. Um, and I'm listening to that. And, you know, you're making fun of the president with the way he pronounces stuff. You, you do know that he had a, and and it wasn't you, but you played it. I, I don't know if it was a recording or whatever. He's got issues. He had issues growing up with a speech impediment. He stuttered. He overcame that stutter. I still think that's apparent in his speech today. But to me, that's making fun of somebody with a disability, and that. Yeah. No, see, I, I don't know that. There's a different. No, 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 no. No, there's. A, I don't. I'm not. None of those things was talking about his stuttering. That I don't have a problem with, and you can tell the difference between a stutter, and what is the inability to string together a few words. I mean, he stumbles over those words, and I, I think there, there, those are distinctions that. Um, that really represents some cognitive deficiency in him. I'm not. So, I would so never make fun of someone. So, so basically, that's not a problem. I mean, it, it, it's the right wing point of view of that the president um, basically is uh, the 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 falsehood of of him not being able to be president. Uh, that he doesn't have the fundamental speech coherency to be president. Is that really what you're pushing? Well, I, th- I think what it reflects is an inability to connect thoughts with speech. And when you're the leader of the free world and you repeatedly show uh, serious deficiencies in being able to either finish a thought, to uh, cogently put together thoughts in your speech pattern, it's a problem. And we can see that there's been a, there's been a, a lack of... Uh, of respect for this president in terms of foreign policy, uh, people that I, he, he has lost respect across the world in the way that this country's now been. Uh, you know, look at what's happened to our our currency uh, devaluation, uh, and, and the guy just doesn't command respect because of his inability to communicate clearly. I, I yeah, strongly disagree with you there. Now, if, if you want to talk about communicating uh, effectively. He had Trump with his tweets and his comments and his endos or his uh, whistle calls for the radical right to come out and, you know, try to overthrow the government on uh, on, on, on January 6th. With you mean like peacefully march, peacefully march to the Capitol? Peacefully march oh. to the Capitol? Those were his words. Peacefully carry uh, bus down doors. Peacefully beat the crap out of... Um, uh, police officers with uh, fire extinguishers peacefully beat. Now John, with all due respect, I'm, just, I'm telling you. What with all due respect, have you problem. reviewed have you reviewed his language uh, during his speech before the march to the Capitol uh, took place? Yes, I have. He said peacefully yes, march to the Capitol. He didn't say bust what? down doors, march into the Capitol. And I, by the way, have criticized him for not getting out in front of it early enough when it started happening. I've been very critical of that. I've been critical of his name calling. I've been highly critical of behavioral deficits with President Trump. Um, As far as your so-called statement about uh, losing uh, foreign respect, uh, the previous president, uh, 
which I call twice and preach uh, treason, traitor Trump. Mm-hmm. And we might want to throw indicted in there now. Uh, NATO, he did a great job of destroying NATO. Uh, our president, uh, President Biden, has done a great job of putting NATO back together and taking uh, supporting Ukraine um, in, in a war against uh, an enemy uh, of the United States. Trump has done nothing more than Trump has done more damage in four years to the United States than both China and Russia has done. So, I mean, if you if you want to push as, as you're doing, if you want to push for Trump or Trump policies or what I call not woke policies, but conservative broke policies, you know, you're welcome to do that. But, you know, it's still a free country. It may not be for if, if uh, the conservatives take power. It may not be anymore. How do you, you know, how do you Randy, feel about, well, let's ask, well, since we're talking, John, since we're talking policies, it's great to engage with you. I really appreciate the call. How do you feel about Biden's management of the border? Has that been a real triumph of his policy decisions? And well, how about throwing $2, mil, $2 trillion at the American Rescue Plan when the economy was already heating up and all, including Larry Summers, by no means a, a right-wing economist, warned of rampant inflation and Biden fueled it more. So so, I mean, would you endorse those policies as successful well, it, you know, management it, it, of the economy I, it, and of the I border? Recalled, I, I received three checks from, and I don't know if you received any checks on, on what you make. Um, I received three checks from the government, uh, the so-called rescue plans. Two of those checks had Donald Trump. You're welcome, because I didn't. You're You're welcome. Well, you can thank me now uh, yeah, if you want. Yeah, I, didn't I, didn't, because, I didn't need it. Yeah, because I, I'm, I, I'm a victim I, I of the redistribution. So I hope you're you're very welcome, John. Thank you. Well, thank you. I, I didn't need the money. I mean, I, I have a good job. Yeah. Um, now, let's talk about the, are we talking about the border where Trump said that Mexico, he was going to build the wall and Mexico was going to pay for it? Is that the the border? No, you're dodging. About? You're dodging. Where? No, I'm. I'm what, what, I don't I'm know. Net, net. Who, that, where that, was there more that, influx of illegal migrants and fentanyl under Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Okay. Here's how you you here's how you fix the border. You start cracking down on business. The, the people coming across the border want to come to America. They come to work. They come to make money and send money home. The people that are hiring the illegals is where you start cracking down at. So you go to a business and they knowingly hire an illegal, you fine them $10,000, let's say. The second offense, you fine them $20,000. The third offense, you pit the business owner in prison. Well, that's what you yeah. do. You stop okay, that so, from coming. So, you send them back. Okay, now, John, have you been I, to Texas? John, I don't have disagree you with you that we should that we should not have illegal hiring, but that that can go on at the same time as closing the border. And those both no, things can I'm, be I'm true totally and they should the be true. And and I'd also start, I got to run, but I'd also start with the president not making an open welcome that basically says, hey, come on, come on up. It's, you're, you're welcome to come on up. Hey, thanks you know, this, for the call, John. Let's talk again next week. I'm running out of time. Appreciate years. it. Okay, sure. All right. Enjoy breakfast with your daughter. All right. Uh, well, there you go. John the first. It was good to engage with John. I haven't talked with him in a while. I uh, hope you enjoyed that little back and forth conversation. Uh, when we come back, we have some more sound bites to play for you. We'll have some fun with uh, Janet Yellen and a little more Joe Biden, a sad sound bite, uh, which is sadly the clip of the week that I think speaks to his incompetence as a leader. And John, I hope you'll listen to that. We'll play that when we come right back and wrap it up on the Tobler Show. It's my roots that you're growing. Don't want to miss what you're showing. 
Ain't no doubt about you. So let's get started on some sound. Let's play. Uh, I want to play Janet Yellen, who really lost it when she was uh, talking about um, the economy and climate change. And I mean, she clearly is drinking the Kool-Aid. Take a listen to this. And I feel the same way too. believe that climate change is an existential threat that absolutely must be addressed. And he's proposed a clean electricity plan that would, by 2035, um, shift entirely the electricity sector to reliance on renewables. And of course, with renewables, as you pointed out, in the case of the UK, there's a question of what to do um, if the sun isn't out and the wind doesn't blow. And um, I believe there are storage technologies that can be deployed and um, other, you know, other means to address that. And of course, that has to be part of a, um, a plan to switch to renewables and address climate change. And so Yellen clearly has drink, is drinking the Kool-Aid. She's thinking that we're going to save the planet by, by uh, ruining our economy. I would say, well, before we ruin our economy, why don't, we, why don't we look at China? Let's look at India, who are building and operating fossil-fueled plants, coal and otherwise, uh, and laughing at us. I mean, we're seeing this happening in real time as we just uh, undermine the success that we had when we were energy independent, energy dominant, exporting energy. And uh, one of uh, Joe Biden's first moves, what did he do? Well, he closed the pipeline. He prohibited Arctic and other drilling. I mean, Alaska and offshore drilling. Um, sad, just sad to uh, to witness what's gone on under his uh, leadership. And, and then... Uh, Leah, if we'll go to uh, before we I don't want to run out of time and I want to get to uh, to the other clip in our bag of wind there. Um, we've already played uh, John, Jamal Bowman. I'd like to play uh, the Jonathan Turley clip to double down on what well, this is. Number four. This is this is really the crux of the matter. Jonathan Turley, Georgetown, Wash, uh, Georgetown University professor of law who has grave concerns about the implications of this indictment on President Trump, who will be arraigned uh, at, I believe, 1 o'clock, 1.15 our time on Tuesday, whether or not he's handcuffed, whether or not there's a perp walk, who knows? Uh, I think he would invite it, being the uh, the showman he is. By the way, he's already raised $4 million in the first 24 hours after the indictment. $4 million of fundraising came into the Trump campaign. It's fascinating to see what's going on. Um, but we'll play that now. This is Jonathan Turley on the chilling Trump indictment thing. And it is it is a big moment legally. It is a big moment and it's a chilling moment. The fact is that over months of investigation, we have not heard of other crimes. Uh, this is the crime that uh, most people on both the right and the left have been debating. Uh, it's the crime that's referenced in a book written by one of the prosecutors who resigned, then published a book about prosecuting Trump. Uh, and the concern is that if this theory is actually the basis of the indictment, uh, then this is a rather ignoble moment in history. Donald Trump may be the first pre former president to be indicted, but if this is the standard, he won't be the last. Talking about medical politics, and I think we had a little mix-up in production there. Uh, tell, tell, tell us where you think the state of health care is, Dr. Salary, and what, what, uh, where it's going. 
Right now we're in socialized medicine. It snuck up on us over the past 15 years. Obama did such a great job with the Affordable Care Act that um, nobody has their own doctor anymore. Uh, the hospitals are being paid by the government to buy up the practices. And so you go to the doctor, uh, typically somebody who speaks broken English, you ask questions they don't answer, they're looking at the computer, um, you're a number, you're not a patient anymore. You go back for a follow-up, you don't see the same person. You're going to get a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, not a physician. And you're wondering what's going on. And you call your insurance and they say, well, you know, sorry, can't help you. Um, they're, they're in bed with the government as well. Every, everything starts with government overreach, unfortunately. And uh, the government, you know, they say uh, close enough is good enough. Unfortunately, with your health care, that's not good. And people are dying because of this. So the state of health care is terrible. Your CAT scans, your x-rays are denied. Your blood tests are denied. Your medicines are denied if it's too expensive or not on the formulary. The formulary is, of course, picked by the um, the payer, the Blue Cross or the Aetna, whoever. And, you know, they pick it for their financial benefit. They don't pick it for your benefit. And they don't believe in the standard of care. They believe in only what the FDA or Dr. Fauci has to tell them. So we're in a terrible state of health care. Um, I myself was a patient in 2018. <clears throat> because of nursing errors, I ended up being in there six months instead of six days. Um, and I'm a so-called VIP, a full professor and a department chairman and all these other accolades. Yet, if it happens to me, it's definitely happening to everybody. I see it all the time, and that's why I wrote the book. Talking to Dr. Stephen Soloway, one of America's top rheumatologists, former appointee to Donald Trump, President uh, Council on sports fitness and nutrition and you know i'm right with you uh steven you know i'm an OBGYN. I've, uh, I've led a small safety net hospital i've been in private practice and now getting ready to launch a dpc practice but the the hurdles against disruptive innovation in all the right ways reconnecting patients with doctors getting insurance companies and medicare and medicaid out of the way uh it is it's unbelievable i don't think most people know that for a doctor who wants to jump off of medicare and uh you know uh, just do just see uh, see medicare patients if they want to pay cash and not be restricted by uh you know uh, uh restrictive rules of medicare the doctor has to then be off of it for two years and couldn't, for instance, then go and work in an emergency room or something. There is a terrible cartel in the medical industrial complex, isn't there, between the insurance companies, big government, big pharma? Oh, 100%. Everything you just said is, is spot on. Um, it's, it's very frightening. And really, the only way things work are in Manhattan where nobody takes Medicare and the patient pays the doc. The doc uh, submits the receipt. The patient takes the receipt and they submit it to Medicare and they can get the $10 on the, I mean, the 10 cents on the dollar. And they see that the doctors really aren't making a lot of money. And nobody knows that Medicare has cut their physician reimbursement for an office visit each year for the last 18 years. Um, yet the price of Band-Aids keeps going up. Um, it's a system that's made to fail at this point. Uh, you know, nobody ever mentions the fact that prior to 15 years ago, prior to the Affordable Care Act, that this system, and I say sincerely, this system was working well for 90% of the people and really would have worked for 95% of the people. However, the other 5%, which made up about 15 million people, was okay with Obama to get his name etched in stone to absolutely destroy rather than tweak a system, just overhaul it, destroy it, throw it out, start from the ground up with no experience, as opposed to um, just trying to tweak a few things that were wrong with how things were working. 
Um, now it's so easy to print $10 trillion because of a virus that we co- kind of created and let the Chinese let loose because there's no regulations. And, you know, now we're in financial crisis probably for the next 50 years, if, if not forever. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're ever going to reel it back. But, uh, you know, when Donald Berwick, who was the father of Obamacare, said he was in love with the national health system in uh, in the UK, I knew we were in trouble. Dr. Soloway, we're out of time. I want to thank you for writing this book, Medical Politics, How to Protect Yourself from Bad Doctors, Insurance Companies and Big Government. And uh, keep leading the charge up the hill, my friend. We need more voices like yours. All the best with this By the book. Way, sign copies at badmedicinebook.net. Oh, badmedicinebook.net. Hey, thanks a lot, Stephen. All the best. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Stephen Soloway, author of uh, Medical Politics. Well, that'll wrap it up. We went a little long, but I wanted to make sure you got that that news from Dr. Soloway. It's really important. We need to fight back against the medical industrial complex. We're going to keep bringing you stories like this and teach you how to do that over the uh, months and years. For Leah, I'm Randy Tobler. Thanks for being with me. God willing, we'll see you next week. uh, And have a blessed Holy Week, will you? Starting tomorrow on Palm Sunday. Bye-bye.